my name's Lorraine Atherton and I'm the Workforce Innovation Manager here at TLHT. Thanks for joining us on this fifth of our podcast series about the Trust Behaviour Framework. So joining me today are Suzanne Gorn and Lynn Hackett. Thank you both for joining us. Can I ask you both just to quickly introduce yourselves and explain your roles at the Trust? Hi there, my name is Suzanne Gorn. I'm a consultant breast surgeon and also deputy medical director for professional standards. Yeah, hi, I'm uh, Lynn Hackett. I'm voluntary service manager uh, and I also manage the main reception at Royal Blackburn Hospital as well. Perfect. Thank you both. So hopefully you know that we're here today to talk a little bit more about the Trust Behaviour Framework, which we launched back in September 2021 as part of our Inclusion Week celebrations. So the framework explains how we can all contribute to the success of ELHT, as well as our own individual success and that of our teams by kind of embracing the behaviours in this framework. Hopefully by embracing them, um, it'll help us to achieve the trust ambition to deliver safe, personal, effective care for our patients. But really importantly, and what I want to talk a lot about today is it will also help us make sure that ELHT is a really great place to work for all of us. So just to explain a little bit, the framework provides a core of set of behaviours and tries to explain how we should approach our work. So about how we do things, what we say, how we say it, how we treat others and how we expect to be treated. And we're going to talk particularly in this episode of the podcast around the behaviours that sit under their taking responsibility heading. So I'll stop talking now and, and ask um, Suzanne and Lynn, first of all, if you could just talk to me a little bit about why you think taking responsibility is such a key element of the framework. I'll start with you, Suzanne. So I think taking responsibility is exactly what it says on the tin that, you know, we we must take responsibility for ourselves. It's a core value we should all have. And I think the aim of this is that if we take responsibility for for ourselves that means taking responsibilities for our performance and our learning and development i come from a background of education and it's it's vitally important that that's part of everything we do that we develop a learning environment and culture and the only way we can do that is by taking responsibility not only for ourselves but, but for those around us and and we i feel we all have an innate responsibility to contribute to that learning culture and environment i think the taking responsibility bit is also about transparency and about being open to um, what we see and what we do and that links in with our trust values of integrity you know that we're honest we're open we appreciate not everyone can be perfect all the time but that you know we we all see our own role in that and our role in supporting others yeah, I was just going to say to add very much of the same, you know, you need to take responsibility for what you're doing. You need to, you need to learn if you make a mistake, own up to it, learn from it and, and make sure that, you know, you're, you're responsible for the people around you. I mean, I look after the volunteers, so they come in and they give the time for free. So it's really important to me that I make sure that wherever they are, they're looked after. So I, it's a very different environment looking after volunteers as opposed to staff. So I need to make sure I take responsibility for them and also for the teams that I hand them over to I need to make sure that they know that they're responsible for those volunteers and like you say you know it's, it's learning it's making sure that you know if something needs changing you look at it and you think oh yeah that I'm responsible for that I'll make sure that happens because basically every day is a school day isn't it you always learn something new and put something forward so yeah I would say exactly very much echo what Susanna said as well yeah you need to look at it take your responsibility and then also it avoids blame then doesn't it? if you've you've said you know it's me I've done it. We can sort that. It avoids a blame culture, which is very important. We don't want to have that. And that, that can happen. So we don't want a blame culture at ELHT. We want something like that's open and honest and our integrity remains intact. 
brilliant. I think they're both really good examples and you've both touched on um, another element of the framework actually that I'll come back and ask you about in a short while which is about acknowledging or admitting when we make mistakes and as Suzanne correctly said it does link directly back to the trust values and all about integrity. We've talked a bit about taking responsibility generally. One section of the framework talks about being accountable for our own work and encouraging feedback and I think Lynn you touched on that a little bit with what you just said there. You work with our volunteer colleagues across the trust and they support us in all sorts of roles. So can you just expand a little bit and just explain why being accountable and taking responsibility is particularly important for our volunteers who carry out some of those really critical roles that help us deliver our services to patients? I think being accountable, especially with the volunteers, is that they do give the time for free. They come into the trust and what we find as well with a lot of the volunteers is they've all had amazing careers. You know, we've got lawyers, we've got teachers, um, you know, we've got people who were magistrates. Um, so we've got a wide, wide variety of volunteers. So it's up to me to make sure that I'm responsible and that I look after them wherever they're, they're put, that the, the staff on the wards look after them and they're respectful of them and not dismissive. So I think with the behavioural framework, I think that brings that in, in the fact that you need to acknowledge the fact that you know these people are giving a valuable service and they are giving the time for free and um, I think it's made a, a difference I've noticed you know bringing the volunteers back in after Covid some wards I remember one particular ward I mean they've clapped they've clapped somebody in um, and he, he was thrilled to bits with it and in other words we've struggled a little bit in getting that camaraderie back because the staff have all changed I think working with volunteers it's really important to be responsible and make sure that they're looked after wherever they go. I think that's brilliant and I think it, it's a really good example isn't it of, of these people haven't just wandered in off the streets for something to do. Some of the volunteers we've had on the main reception we've had them for like 20 years, 30 years you know because they just love what they do when they come in. So, so some of this accountability and responsibility to them um, they'll absolutely be used to it in their professional career like you say if they've been teachers or lawyers yeah. or accountants you know they are used to working in that way so that yeah that, that is why we bring the best out in them isn't it you know it they might only it? be it's up to me to make sure I do bring the best out in them and that the staff who, who when we hand them hand them over to departments that they're like you know you make sure that they they do look up and they're respectful of the fact that you know these people have had you know, some of them, the stories that they can tell. I mean, during COVID, when we had one particular lady, she was a pilot, couldn't fly. So she came and volunteered with us. Perfect. So, yeah. So, Suzanne, I bet you have a slightly different take on this, don't you? Because, I mean, responsibility and accountability for our own work in your world is clearly really important. Have you got any examples of where by doing this, we see the benefits for colleagues and patients? Yeah, so I think, I mean, I, I just keep harping on about continued lifelong learning, don't I? And I, and I think that's where this really comes into play. So, you know, um, if we don't learn, we stay still and we'll just carry on doing what we do. And that pulls into the feedback. So, you know, we can reflect. And obviously, when we make a mistake, we can identify that ourselves and we can reflect and learn from that. But likewise, the bit about seeking feedback, sometimes we don't know something about ourselves. I always say no one intentionally comes to work to do a bad job. They don't get up in the morning and go, do you know what? I'm going to go in today and I'm going to do a really right bad job. <laughs> so if somebody isn't quite performing or doing something right, then actually what is it that's contributing to that? And feedback really helps with that. So one of the examples I use is, is actually from when I was a trainee and I was doing my, um, my master's and one of the sessions you had to do was deliver a teaching session and have somebody give you feedback. And the feedback I got was I, I, I went out to the audience to ask a question 
And when they answered, apparently I frown a lot and it actually looked like I was disagreeing with them. And apparently <laughs> the person giving the answer was quite was faltering quite a bit, I think, because they thought, felt quite insecure because I was giving them a frowny expression. And so you can understand I didn't know I was frowning at them. And actually in meetings it did correlate because often people look at me and go, is that all right, Susanna, or do you disagree? And I'd be like, no, 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 I agree. And without that feedback, I would not have known that. So that's where feedback, that's a, a silly example almost, but, you know, where feedback can really help teams, yeah, individuals. You, you can't see your face, can you? So when you're yeah. saying something, you don't see your face, you're not looking in the mirror. It's not like you're giving yourself a little check when you're off out for the night out, but you're looking at, you, you don't see it. So that's, yeah, that's really good, that. And likewise, I think, it, it, you know, we see this, we're going to move on to it later, you know, when we talk about um, team dynamics communication, you know, we, we may be perceived a different way to how we want to be. We don't realise something's landing a certain way. Um, and without that feedback, we wouldn't know. I think it's a great example and I think there's a lot of people out there me included I think in some situations where you're almost worried about asking for feedback because nobody likes to hear the bad stuff do they mm. so it's oh, quite a brave move to kind of ask for feedback but but invariably if it helps us improve it, it's it is a good thing to do and I think certainly we you know we work with lots of professionals who deal with colleagues and patients every day so the more feedback that we can get about our approach our practice it can only improve the way we do things so brilliant examples from both of you and Thank i'll you. just say we have to be quite brave to give feedback because it has to be done in the right way and i think giving feedback when it's not been requested can often land differently to somebody who requests feedback as well um yeah. you know, somebody has to be willing to receive feedback it is a complex skill of giving and receiving feedback as and I think, again, it's culturally something we need to move towards. So again, we've touched on this, talks about acknowledging or admitting when we make mistakes and correcting them. So again, a bit like um, asking for feedback, it feels like it's a common sense, common thing to do because we all know mistakes happen people get things wrong like Suzanne said nobody comes to work I don't think ever um, intent on doing a terrible job or getting things wrong but we all do and a lot of people find it difficult to admit that they're wrong or made a mistake so I'm going to ask you both just to have a think um, and talk to us a little bit about why you think it's important that we are able to acknowledge and admit when we've made a mistake and take some responsibility for correcting them. Yeah, sure. I mean, again, I think this is about that learning organisation that we want to be. And not only do we learn from our own mistakes, but others can learn from our mistakes. And that sharing is, is really important. But we have to make sure that we provide an environment that people feel safe to do that. Um, you know, and there has been previous, you know, across organisations and NHS, you know, there's fear of a blame culture. And to get away from that fear, we have to make sure that everyone is feeling secure. It's similar to talking about your weaknesses, isn't it? That you're not going to get blamed for doing something wrong. And ultimately, I think the way we get to that is to look at processes rather than individuals. For instance, you know, I request the wrong side when I list somebody. That's my mistake. But actually, there should be a load of processes in place that make sure that that patient doesn't get on the theatre table and have the wrong side operated on because that wouldn't just be my mistake that would be a whole host of mistakes and those checks are all in there because of that because we're all human and we can't all be perfect all the time i think despite that things can go wrong and it's how we respond to that i suppose and actually again we're human when something goes wrong we haven't done it intentionally and so we're going to feel bad about that and that can we might want to shy away. You don't like talking about things that are uncomfortable. Um, so we have to provide the environment to make it safe to do that. And actually, 
once you do talk about it and work it through, it can make you feel better. So not only do we learn from it, but it actually helps with those feelings. There's something called um, the second victim, which recognises this, that in healthcare professionals involved in serious events or things that go wrong, actually it has a big impact on that health professional and we take responsibility for it. So again, as, as part of this work, we have to make sure that we're providing to those around us a safe team and that we're supporting each other to deal with these issues. Yeah, absolutely agree, Lynn. I'll come to you and I think it, it, there are lots of parts of parts of the behaviour framework that link nicely. It's, it's like a huge jigsaw yeah. that talk about, I mean, we're talking about responsibility here, but also about trust and respect and lots and lots about how our leaders and managers kind of need to manage that. There are lots of references in there to providing a safe space for people and for people to be brave. And, uh, you know, it, it really does, um, it should start to embed everything that we do as a, an ELHT culture in this. So yeah. none of these things kind of sit in isolation. I know we're talking about one kind of collection of um, behaviour here but um, a lot of what you said Suzanne links really nicely to some of the other things that we are asking of all of our colleagues as well. So Lynn what about you acknowledging admitting mistakes and correcting them? I'm going to say mine's quite a simple one with Suzanne's role in the in the trust it's you know hers is, it's extreme she's dealing with people's lives and operations and things like that it's very difficult so I I tend to look at my role I know it might sound a bit, like, oh, that, but a bit of a nurturing role because you have to look after volunteers and if you ever go in the NHS England meetings with the other volunteer service managers around the country we all say that it's sort of a nurturing role because they're coming and giving the time for free so you need to make sure that their environment is, is good and one of the simplest things that is made a mistake of and I know it's only simple but it's like you know they could they could they come into the trust and they come into volunteer and and they want to give the time and then they'll come onto an environment and and they just want somewhere with it's so simple but it can make such a difference somewhere to put the belongings but the volunteer brings them in and because they're not part of that team sometimes at the beginning they think oh oh well where am i going to put my bag where am i going to put my coat and it's just a simple mistake that a ward would make to think oh they can just shove them there the, the volunteers it doesn't matter but no they're still part of that they're still part of your team so it's something to do address and we have got it now we're on quite a few other places where the volunteers go simple they have one locker it's just a simple it's, it's not a huge mistake it's not a mistake that might be life-threatening but to that volunteer it matters so it, the two very two very different roles where we're coming at here aren't we Suzanne and me, me you and you and I in terms of, of you know taking that responsibility and each is as important as the other because all exactly. of this contributes to the culture, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Everything in, it, it all contributes to, you know, the fact that, you know, we need to make sure we're all responsible for all those. The little actions can become the big actions, can't they? Yeah. Yeah. And I think what you said really highlights that, that something that can be a really simple, honest, unintended mistake by one person can have a detrimentally huge impact on exactly, an individual. Yeah. And, and it's usually unseen, it's usually unsighted, it's usually not done intentionally. But if we just think back to giving everything a little bit more thought and in both examples that you've given, what the impact of that might have on other people. Um, yeah. yeah, really important and great examples. Thank you. So there's just one more thing that I would like to cover with you both. And again, I think this is really important. This part of the framework touches on the matter of resolving conflict and disagreements and doing this quickly and professionally. 
Now, I don't want to over egg this because I think what we've seen overwhelmingly over the past couple of really challenging years uh, across the trust is colleagues really valuing and supporting each other. But I can also see that when times are tough and people are under pressure, that that level of pressure and frustration can kind of get to people and it can result in people behaving in a way that they perhaps wouldn't normally behave. You know, they get frustrated, people are tired, people might snap, people have disagreements. So I think, you know, we all know a lot of colleagues, we all see a lot of colleagues every day that are feeling a little bit like this under pressure. So probably now more than ever, it's really important that we nip these things in the bud, resolve issues professionally and quickly, just to make sure that we're reducing any further kind of negative impact on relationships and just keeping it this as a nice place to work without those kind of underlying tensions. So I'll, I'll ask you both, Suzanne, I'll start with you about your kind of experience of this and why you think this is this is important. I mean, in my role as in my portfolio as Deputy Medical Director, this is a, a large portion of, of, of what I do. And it's the conflict resolution. And actually, where is conflict resolution and where is it performance? So where is it an individual's performance causing the conflict? And where is it the team they work within? And there's no clear distinction in that because actually, even someone with personal issues who could perhaps, as you say, react a certain way. If they're working in a supportive team, often that team will wrap around them and manage it and help support them at that earlier stage before it becomes a bigger problem. And again, if we find that there's a lot of conflict in a place, then it's not down to an individual quite often. It's down to the dynamics of that team and everyone contributing. And that's why I think, it, as you said, it's so important to get into these places earlier and to nip these things in the board and to be having these compassionate conversations to help see things from everyone's different point of view, to help understand where the conflict has arisen and how we can resolve it. Because ultimately, we don't want to keep harping on about that happened, they did this, they did that. How do we work through it? How do we resolve conflict? How do we get that workplace to be nicer? Because again, as much as I said, nobody wants to come into work to do a bad <laughs> job. Nobody wants to come into a hostile environment either. Nobody wants to be falling out with their colleague. Nobody wants to be walking on eggshells around someone else. Actually, isn't it nicer when we all have a friendly, open, collaborative and supportive team? The difficulty is getting to that when there has been issues and it takes a, a lot of um, op openness and willingness to do that. And that's where I think that's the first step in getting to those places. Yeah, absolutely love that um, compassionate conversations. It's a theme that keeps coming up time and time again in, in lots of what we do. And I think yeah. we've got colleagues who are really, really good at this um, and we've got colleagues that that perhaps have got some learning to do about how we do this but having that compassionate conversation with the focus being about a solution rather than about blame and providing a safe space to have those conversations is is absolutely critical to this so yeah brilliant thanks Suzanne what about you Lynn? Yeah. I was going to say sometimes yeah you do sometimes you need to, if there's a conflict going on sometimes you need to take a step back and have a look at why it's happening how you can resolve it and also I think a lot of conflict happens as well because people can be dismissive so, you know, people can be quite dismissive and it comes back to that. And um, I think me, me, Suzanne and I were both involved in this campaign. Hello, my name is. And and that's sort of gone by the wayside a little bit sometimes. And like volunteers go on towards and um, they don't know the volunteers, the staff change and everything. And then people are talking to them or they can talk at them and instead of saying, oh, hi, my name's my name's Lindsay. Um, what's your name? You're a volunteer. I've not met you before. That's simple as that volunteer will go away carry on the work they don't need to you know they don't need to interact they don't need to know the life history it's just to be it's like just to have that you know come back in and not be dismissive or something and then, then the conflict doesn't arise it's like a whole like Suzanne said a whole learning curve all the time every day just to make sure you're looking at other people because you don't know why you know they might be 
been, you know, they might have an, you know, conflict or there might be something going on. There could be a whole different thing going on in the background that you don't know about. Right. A lot of the conflict arises when someone feels they've not been listened to, isn't it? Yeah, they do. And all you need is it's just like simple. Oh, hello, my name's my name's Lindsay. Oh, what's your name? And that volunteer will trot off, carry on doing what they're doing. They're happy as Larry. So it's just a matter of making sure that people feel part of a team and not dismissing what something's important to somebody else. Yeah. And I think I think it is easy. I talked at the beginning, didn't I, about how we've had a really tough couple of years and overwhelmingly. I think years, we yeah. have we have seen lots and lots of staff valuing and supporting each other. But when we are busy, I think some of the niceties are the first thing that kind of go down out of the out of the window really because yeah. everybody just focused on getting the job done by whatever means. And sometimes that is about being a bit dismissive or you know, skipping over the the nice to do parts, they're just introducing yourself, they're just setting a bit of a scene, just explaining where you're at. I think as a team as well from ELHT, I think collaboratively, I think everybody's had a tough time. I know the ICU team, amazing job they've done. They've had a tough time, but everybody's job within the whole trust has been affected. Everybody in the entire trust collaboratively has had to readjust how they work. And we need to all be mindful of that because it affects everybody. Which brings us all really nicely almost to a conclusion for this which is I think given everything that you've said here and the examples that you've given and, and the stuff that Suzanne's just said about the kind of where we're at in the in the grand scheme of things in the big world now it's really important more than ever I think to replay this behaviour framework back to colleagues and why we're doing it because it's easy to dismiss a behaviour framework when when times are easy and times are good and everybody's happy and you know workloads are manageable um, I think it's more important than ever that we underpin the current situation that we're in where everybody's feeling a bit under pressure so I really appreciate your time and support today and for taking part in this conversation it has been genuinely very interesting to have your insights into how the behaviour framework can help us be successful and what it means to you in your areas and with your colleagues um, so to anyone who's listening to this thank you very much we've got a series of podcasts on all different aspects of the behaviour framework these will be out on a, on a weekly basis so please listen to this one and take time to have 15-20 minutes listening to the other podcasts in this series to find out a little bit more about the rest of the behaviour framework Thank you both for your time. Thanks Thank for having you, me. Thank you,